Kim and Roman, come on up. We got your plaque for you. A word of prayer with you. I, I remember, of course, boy, when we had their wedding in church, that was the most unique wedding this church has ever had. Um, the surprise. We were talking about that the other day in the office. That was just, nobody knew it was going to happen. We had everybody, Pastor Roach preached a really short message on purpose. And then I was going to pray and not stop praying until everything was set up for a wedding. So we did that. And, uh, but, man, we've appreciated you over the years. And we're certainly going to miss you. And I'm not bitter at all about going to Florida in the 68 degrees or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that, thanks. I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, we, you, you all have just been amazed to hear faithfulness has been just tremendous. And I've appreciated that greatly. And uh, I've already got a call in to Brother Nance already. And uh, so excited for you all to see what the Lord is going to do. And uh, uh, we certainly want to present this with you and have a word of prayer with you. But we certainly love you all, and we're going to miss you. All right, let's go ahead and pray with him. Father in heaven, Lord, we do pray for your wisdom and your direction. Lord, I thank you for Kim and Roman. And Lord, as they head on to a new chapter in their life right now, Lord, I pray that you bless Lord, continue to meet all the needs. Lord, have you, how, just how you have been doing that in the last six weeks has been incredible. And so we pray that you continue guidance and your continued providence in their life. Lord, I pray especially when they get settled and, and they found that place to live and life is going on. Lord, I pray they continue to grow. They get involved in their south side. And, and uh, Lord, have your blessing upon their life. Lord, I pray they always love you and serve you and serve you because they love you. So please guide and direct. And Lord, we thank you for entrusting them to us in all these years. And Lord, we thank you. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. After the service, by the way, we have a fellowship for you all. It's a surprise one. They've already got all the foods and everything like that. But So we'll have that after the service. Everything that, you, You're the only one who doesn't know about it already, but it's, it's there after the service. So amen. Yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, continue paying a course for uh, Pam Chamberlain, her recovery from surgeries in 48 hours time frame, uh, ended up having those, and so be, be praying for her, or yeah, less than that, actually, I guess it ended up being. But she'll be praying for her. She should leave the hospital. Everything goes as scheduled to leave the hospital on Wednesday. and uh, But then still home once she leaves the hospital for a good five weeks at home recovering. So pray the recovery would go well. And, and <clears throat> All right, Matthew chapter uh, 11 here. Um, let's... Let's start in verse number 2. Now when John heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go, show again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and then the dead hear, and uh, excuse me, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And then Christ goes on to talk uh, about this incredible man, John the Baptist. And it just, it just amazing what he says. He, he talks about his ministry, what they went out to see. And uh, um, verse 11, he says this about him. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there had not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Please guide and direct. Help me stay true to your word. I pray that you use us to be a help, to strengthen us, to draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would truly be glorified as a result. And Lord, please change us through it. And uh, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I do pray for that conviction and that drawing, that even this evening they'd repent and place their faith in Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is a message that I have preached in the past. It'll be one of those that I probably preach about every three or four years. And it's been just about four years since the last time that I, that I preached this message. And this is a message that deals with doubt. Uh, doubt can come for different reasons. The truth is all of us have probably had doubt in our life in one time or another. We can doubt God in different ways. You can doubt God in relation to salvation. You can doubt God in relation to his providence in your life as to what you see him doing at the time. You can doubt God in a, in, almost in the way that John the Baptist was doing, is questioning everything he was given his life for, for that matter. And we all have those times of doubt. I can think of in my own life, in all those different areas applying. I remember when the last time I was leaving New Ireland in the, in the it's been a couple of years ago now, so I've got to plan a trip back there. This COVID had shut down the last one, but it is open now. And when, when that plane had caught fire on takeoff, and so the plane, plane is on fire, and we know it, and they're trying to get it back to the runway, and the thought hit my mind, I better be right. <laughs> and, uh, and that thought hit. It did. And um, at the time, none of us thought we were actually going to make it back to the runway. Um, I remember another time, a teenager, teenager, this was after, you know, I got saved. Um, and then I had three or four years going up to I was about 16 where I wasn't serving God at all. Then the new pastor came in, you know the story. But I remember after I started serving God, doubting my salvation because of how I lived during those, those years. Wondering if I was actually saved. So I had, to, I had to battle the issue of doubts with my salvation. I also remember a time when, uh, uh, new, fairly newly married, Daniel was either getting ready to be born or just born. And this was the time when I was beginning to question different things. Really had to do with my, the soul winning. You know, since I'd been a teenager, I went to the sword conferences. My church did not have the soul winning. So I'd go out on my own every week, just by myself, knock on doors. It got to the point where I mastered the classes, not because I desired to, nobody knew. I, it wasn't like I got in church, got in testimony time. You know, I seen 4,273 4, saved today. Uh, never did that one time. But I would go out every single week. I didn't know you're supposed to bring somebody and knock on doors. And it got to the point where every week I saw at least one person make a profession of faith. And for a couple of years doing that, I was excited. I really thought those people got saved. Then we're about 2021, and I started having doubts and concerns about how I was witnessing. 
And it turned into something much greater in my life, actually, because I still remember the key service up. It was a Sunday night, and I look around the service. I was in the back. We were at Brain under Pastor Bird at this time. I came in the back of the service, and I look around, and there's not a single person in the church that I've led to the Lord. And I thought, something is horribly, I didn't hear a sermon preached on it. You know, I know since then there's been, it's risen in popularity to preach on what I'm dealing with. But I didn't know who, David Cloud became the first one popular of that. I didn't know who he even was. But the conviction just hit. And I knew, I knew that night, that service, I am doing something wrong. Simply because I knew when I did get saved, nobody had to beg me to go to church. Never had to happen. I remember getting saved. I remember wanting to serve God. So that catapulted, though, into something else in my life. At that time, then I questioned. So I knew that was wrong. There's no question. That stopped. That ended that day. But then I questioned almost everything. I'm like, well, what else am I wrong on right now? What else have I believed that isn't true? And so that was a stressful time because a measure of doubt about what I was believing in relation to theology, in relation to God, what's right and what isn't right. What else have I believed that isn't true? So there was a measure of doubt that came in in a different way in my life. Again, it can come for different reasons. John Bunyan said this concerning doubt in his life. He said, of all temptations I've ever met with in my life, to question the being of God and the truth of his gospel is the worst and worst to be born. When this temptation comes, it takes my girdle from me. It removes the foundation from under me. Though God has visited my soul uh, with never so blessed a discovery of himself, yet afterwards I have been in my spirit so filled with darkness that I could not so much as once conceive what that God and that comfort were with, with which I had been refreshed. I appreciate his honesty in that statement. This is the man, by the way, if, if you look back there, it's one of the great... If you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, read it. We have it in the bookstore. It is a tremendous book. And, and yes, sometimes you've got to read it slowly. We're, we're talking a book written hundreds of years ago by a Baptist preacher written while he was in jail for preaching. Tremendous an allegory of what he does uh, in that book. In our text... We have John the Baptist doubting. Not only is he doubting, it's almost as, not almost as if, you, you can see with what he's facing, almost the disappointment, perhaps even a bit of anger as to what's taking place. Have you ever been angry or disappointed with God? Have there been events in your life where you not only doubted, but were angry at what was taking place? Maybe your life went in a direction you didn't expect. Maybe things didn't turn out how you planned. Maybe there were sickness that came in or a death that has taken place. And instead of turning to God, you allow doubt to turn you to anger. Remember, I've given this story before. An uncle who, who uh, I love all my relatives, but he's such a sweet man. And uh, he was, I, I remember 
I, he, there was another uncle that I was closer to, and I, I, my mom had, uh, she had two brothers and uh, um, two sisters as well. And the one, one of her brothers, um, I, I enjoyed being around both of them. They, they were fun. When I was a little boy, I couldn't wait to be around really any of the uncles. And he was one, I remember even as a teenager, he would try, I remember he took me out once. He had his own family, but he came over, just picked me up and, and, and took me out to, uh, I think it was grab some ice cream or something. I was about 14. And uh, just to give advice. And at, at first, I think he insulted me. I, I think he said, you might not be the smartest in school. <laughs> I think it started like that. So you don't know my grades. He was right, but nonetheless. And, but then he went on to compliment from that, what, what strengths that he saw in me. And uh, I think at the time, he was just trying to be a dad. And, and you know, after I got in church, got serious about it, he actually came for a while. Him and his, he was coming for, for a time frame. And, uh, but he had gotten out. And then when, uh, trying to remember, the, this is when I was in New Guinea, my grandfather died. His dad had died. And when my grandfather died, it was, it was uh, uh, he had, I was close with him too. And he did make a profession of faith before he died. And uh, my summers I would spend with him uh, when I was eight, nine, ten years old. Spent a lot of time with him. Um, and he had it fairly rough um, growing up his entire life. And uh, so, but for whatever reason, he took a liking to me, and he would—he used to get in trouble for taking me to bars all the time. I remember my mom yelling at him all the time for taking me to bars when I was a little boy. And anyhow, he had—he uh, had gotten diabetes. Um, he had the surgeries were starting from the toe to the foot to the leg. That progression was taking place. And well, in the apartment, he had fallen down, was unable to reach a, a device phone to let people know he needed help. And he died right there. My uncle was the one who found him. And with that event taking place, my uncle began to claim atheism. And really, when I, taught, when I got back on a furlough, we, we had talked. And he said he just couldn't understand how God could allow that to happen. Remember, he's making the mistake that we talked about on Wednesday night. He was allowing, or the Sunday before... He was allowing an experience to alter his theology. <clears throat> and we had talked about that. But there are times events can take place that lead to anger. Thoughts that come in. If there's a good God who cares, how can he let that happen? I know others who anger at God. I've got other lists here, but I need to move on with this. Some events that I knew of those who allowed different events to begin to doubt that led to anger in their life. But this evening, I want to try and be a help in the area of doubt and even tying in when you're disappointed or angry with God. Let me stress this. Doubting is not the sin. Okay? It's not. The sin comes in in how you respond, the direction that you allow that doubt to take you. We all can have doubt. And understand this, the majority of the time that you see doubt in the Bible, it is with genuine believers. Acts chapter 15. On the boat, after calming the scene, 
calming the sea. Christ, the, the disciples have been doubting, oh, ye of little faith. They had such doubt when the storm hit. He said to Philip, have I been with you such a long time, long time with you, yet thou hast not known me? When Philip had said, show us the Father in John 14. Even after the resurrection, doubting was occurring at times. So it's the direction that you allow the doubt to take you. Doubt can lead to questioning God. Doubt can lead to fear. Doubt can lead to anger, disappointment. So I think we can see the importance of knowing how to handle it when doubt comes. Because the truth is, we walk by faith. I've given the illustration many times. Whenever there's faith, doubt exists. John R. Rice gave the best illustration of it that um, I remember as a teenager during one of his sermons. And that's where he had a rope stretched across. Uh, he had a rope stretched across, and he said the rope represents, every, he said every single person alive, their faith is somewhere along this rope. He said on this side would be absolute, true, no belief, genuine atheism. He says nobody's here. And that's true. Romans 12, 3, God has given to every man a measure of faith. Nobody's here. And he said, in the other wall would be all those who are in heaven. Faith is done. It's been made sight. There's no longer a need for faith. You're in the presence of God. He said, so everybody is somewhere on this rope with their faith. Some have great faith. Some faith is lacking. But his point was this with it in that message. He said, but wherever you are, understand that if your faith is at this point, you've got good faith, but there's still a measure of doubt. He said, you can't have one without the other. It's what you do with the faith that is important. So let's learn from John the Baptist tonight some lessons on how we handle doubt. So first off tonight, the first point, let's consider the man and the setting, the context of his life at the time. John the Baptist is in prison. He's not just in any prison. He's in a horrible one. He's in a nasty one. He's in Machaerus. I mean, it was just nasty. Again, I've I've watched um, documentaries about this prison from John the Baptist's life. They're on the Dead Sea. It's hot, dreary. Um, He's in the dungeon, a nasty pit. It would just be miserable. It would not be a fun place to be. He's in prison, of course, if you remember, for his preaching. He preached against Herod, taking his brother Philip's wife for his own. How would you like to go to that family reunion? John preached it was a sin, which it was. And as a result, he was thrown in prison. Just like our culture today hates you preaching against sexual sins. They don't want to hear it. They want the freedom to do whatever they want to do. But it's in this place when John experiences doubt. Now, I think we can take comfort knowing that if John the Baptist can doubt, so can we. Even the greatest, as Christ said, can struggle and have doubts. One thing that I believe proves the Bible to be the Word of God is events just like this. It's what I love about it. It shows the frail human side of even the godliest men. 
I mean, think about it. It's not exactly great publicity for Jesus Christ to have the man who proclaimed him coming on the scene as, are you the one? Yet it's in here. Incredible. I mean, think about this. Matthew 11, we're about, we're about 18 months or so into Christ's ministry in Matthew 11. So 18 months earlier, it's John the Baptist with complete certainty, not a doubt in his mind. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Baptizes him. And then we have the voice from heaven. I mean, the dove. I mean, all that taking place. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist was known for preaching with such boldness and such confidence. I mean, this, this wasn't some sissy of a man, John the Baptist. No way. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. He was a good man. He was privileged in his spiritual life. Yet, he doubted. Christ's response to him, I love. He doesn't show anger or disappointment. He'll give us, he does end up giving a slight reproof. Had we read on, there's a slight reproof there to John that he does give. But the reason why I read verse 11, it's in this context of John sending two disciples to ask Christ, are you the one? That Christ now calls him the greatest born of women. From that, and I use this often in life, that I love about that right there, that verse being there in that context, in this setting, of when those disciples came to him is this, is Jesus did not mistake the moment for the man. You ought to be thankful he doesn't do that to us. At times when we fail, at times when we doubt, he doesn't mistake the moment we're in for the man or the woman. Listen, you're not some horrible person if you have doubt. You're normal. So that's where John is. That's the setting that led to his doubt. Remember, John was expecting a kingdom. Well, I'll get it. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I've got to stop there. Let's look at why did John, why did John doubt? And what we have here within our text is some of the main reasons that doubt comes to all of us. They're here. And I think when you understand what's the reason behind the source of that doubt, you, begin to, you can begin to deal with it. So let's look at what's taking place here. One, we know doubt came in as a result in John's life during difficult circumstances. Now, it's not true of all of us, but we're going to see several different things here. All right? But he doubted here once difficult circumstances hit. This was a man, think of his minister, he was active, he was strong, he was a leader, he was bold. Now he finds himself sitting in this horrible pit. 
You can just see it just driving them nuts being stuck in here. Where's the kingdom? Man used to living in the wilderness, going about preaching, thousands coming to hear him. Now he's stuck in this horrible dungeon and doubt comes. There are times when you go through a time of horrible circumstances that doubt can arise in your mind. You have to guard your mind during those times. The doubt can come and that's normal. It's how you respond to it. I remember after the, the first six, seven months in, once we arrived into Ireland, with, the kids were all small. Again, Daniel's 12, I think, when we arrived. Uh, Bethany down to about six years old. Levi was not born yet. Um, and just the difficulties of what we, had, what we went through during that first 12 months, really. That was unexpected, not planned for. Didn't agree with. <clears throat> I remember times, many times praying, God, I, I just don't agree with any of this. I don't understand this. And perhaps you've been there. Maybe through difficult circumstances, something that hits you in life just like a truck and doubt creeps in. There are some times that certain circumstances can be so traumatic that it puts you in a very vulnerable place in life. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. He will use those times. Why did God allow this? Why did God not intervene? So I think John's difficult circumstances played a part in his doubt. Secondly, from what we know of John, I think another thing that played a, a part in his doubt is unfulfilled expectations of how he thought God should work. This is not how John thought this would work out. Remember, when we preached through Matthew, I stressed, especially as we got near the end, how the disciples really believed the kingdom was coming. They didn't see this church age time. Messiah, kingdom. He's here. We know it. Kingdom's coming. That's why Judas betrayed him. What, no kingdom? Judas was just following Christ for what he can get out of him. That was it. There's no love for God. It wasn't about recognizing who God is and God, you have my life, whatever. Oh, wait. I want to position in a kingdom. So when he realized, oh, I'm not going through this. What am I doing? And sold him out. Amazing. And he heard him preach. That's a whole other message, but anyhow. Amen. Again, John thought a kingdom was coming. John preached much about when that Messiah comes, judgment is coming. Well, there is no kingdom. He's not seeing any judgment taking place. And he's getting ready to be executed.
Too often, we like to be the architect in God's world. And all of a sudden, when your expectations don't get filled, you once again put yourself in a vulnerable place. Understand this. We're not the architect. We're the day laborers. We follow the orders. We have our life planned out as we see us serving God, and then God takes it a different direction and does not allow to come to pass what you had planned for or how you thought it would work out. And those unfulfilled expectations can be a source that leads you to doubt God. This is where you can see the key. We're going to get tied this as I get into the end of the message here. It's so important that life isn't about the things that we do, but that it's about God. Have you ever doubted God because your life is not going as you expected? Or you thought God should do something else? So I believe with John, there was a measure of the expectations. What he thought would happen wasn't right. It's not what was going to take place. Now the truth is, Christ was so much greater than what John expected. He just wasn't seeing it. That's true. That's true in the majority of people that doubt like that. God is so much greater than what even their expectations were. Even when that's not fulfilled, they miss the greatness of God and what is taking place. God is so much greater than what we expect of Him. He is. He doubted because of bad theology. This one affects a lot. This can affect for salvation. This one's a big one for salvation right here. All right. The other, the other two are mainly foundational for God Himself and how God works. This one can tie into salvation. Bad theology. See that in Acts chapter 15. Bad theology came in. People doubted. The bad theology for John, as I've already mentioned, was the fact that he really thought the kingdom would be set up, but that wasn't taking place. He was missing chapters in the Bible like Isaiah chapter 53. There's a suffering Messiah that's going to take place first. Again, he thought judgment was going to fall, as I've said. And one day it will But he wasn't seeing this time of grace, if you will. So when John looked at the Scriptures, what he thought would take place, what he was taught would take place, it wasn't happening. The problem was he had bad theology. Like my uncle who blamed God for the way my grandfather died. The root of his problem was bad theology. He is mad at God for something God never, ever promised. God never promised in this earth to end suffering. God never promised that the Christian life would be of ease and without pain, without sin. He, he, he never promised that things were going to get better. It's never. He did promise that the day will come when all is made right. Don't miss this thought right here. 
God's goodness is not independent of everything else about God and the universe. It's not. It works with his justice. It works with his sovereignty. His goodness, his works are based on what currently is, what has happened, and what is to come. Too often we just want it now. And many times because of the horrible theology that's out there today, it can begin to affect how we view God. You begin to hear statements of saved people making. How could a loving God allow this to happen? If there is a God, why would He not intervene? These thoughts are based on a wrong understanding of God, His sovereignty, His goodness, and His justice. Listen, God is good. His goodness is beyond measure. So John had different things that were taking place that were affecting him and this great man who doubted. The difficult circumstances he was in, unfulfilled expectations, bad theology. But what do we do when doubt comes? I think we see in John some of the keys to handle it when doubt does hit us. Again, the sin is not the doubt itself. The problem comes in in what you do with that doubt. So what we see, what John did here, what I like about this, remember, for John, there's an incredible element of humility in this. Really, it's, it's amazing. This is John the Baptist. You, you, you can see here where he's not worried about his name. He isn't. I mean, remember, he is the guy who just 18 months before was, was proclaiming, you know, this is the Lamb of God. This is him. He must increase. I must decrease. There was no doubt. And now, when he's doubting, he doesn't hide it. He goes right to God with it. He sends disciples. There's a measure of humility with that, if you understand my point. I mean, that's, it's, it's the first step that we take in almost a humble confession to God. God, this is taking place in me right now. In other words, that led to him seeking for a solution. And he went right to Christ. He didn't let it fester. When it hit, he sent two disciples. I need you to go to him. Are you the one or do we look for another? He wanted that confidence. He wanted that assurance. We do the same thing. Listen to me. You go right to his word. You go right to his word. John knew he needed that wisdom. He needed to know what he would say. Here's the key for us. Now listen to me. This is where it comes in. It's almost like when doubt hits, though, we wanted to escape from the line of faith. It doesn't work that way. You're on it. So what you have to do is this. When you go to Christ, 
which is going to his word. That's what we can do. Okay? You listen to it. That's going to take faith. You make that choice. You listen to the answer that God gives. Listen to me. Faith is not a feeling. It's not. If you have feelings when you exercise faith, great. That happens. That's, that's not a bad thing. But faith is not a feeling. It's fact. It's you making a choice to act on what you say you believe. It produces action. So when the answer comes, you have to listen to it. Just like when John said to the disciples, this is exactly what Christ said. No, Christ is referencing verses like in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 61, with what he told his disciples. Go and tell them what you see. So he performed miracles. Knowing he's, he's performing miracles that pro- were prophesied in Scripture that the Messiah would perform. He said, here's what you're going to tell. Go tell them what you're going to see right now. These were those messianic miracles. These miracles were telling John, I am the one. I am in control. It's okay. John, it's all right. I am he. So when we go to Christ, when we go to his word, we look to see what he's showing us, what his word says about it. And we do see how the Word of God has the answer like no other book in the world. Now, when John hears the report, and again, what Christ was referencing was was right in the book of Isaiah. John has a choice to make. What do I do with this information? You have that choice in that moment. There's not a magic switch. Do you understand that? There's not. We want a magic switch to change our emotions. It's what you do in the moment with the information that God gives you from His Word. And I'm going to try and make that clear. There was something I wanted to drive at here. Let me see. I had missed it earlier in my in my notes. Uh, I'm not seeing it there. Oh, here it is. I see it. Before I get to that statement, think of this. When John comes back, notice what Christ didn't do. He didn't cause a pris- uh, an earthquake to happen, the prison doors to open, his bands loosed where he could walk out. He did. He could have. He didn't do that. John would give his life for God. The report comes back. It does not change his circumstances. It doesn't. All of a sudden, there wasn't a kingdom set up. Judgment from Almighty God wasn't coming down. 
Herod is still prancing around like he rules the world. John's still in prison. But what he does know, as his disciples describe from him the works that they saw Christ performed, it's exactly what the Bible said the Messiah would do. He has a choice. Do I choose to stay angry? Or do I believe God's word? This statement is one I wanted to get. I was trying to look for it. It's here. This is by Adrian Rogers. Um, just, I, I've, I can't remember when I, I'm listening to preaching her to make this statement, but it's, it's always helped me. He said this. Real faith is not receiving from God what you want. Real faith is accepting from God what he gives. That was the choice John had to make right there. So for John, with how he was doubting, that was the choice that he was facing. Knowing from God's word, what does it say? Is this what's taking place? And of course it was. His whole ministry was that. And then John could go back. John could go back to what he, what he did uh, know of the Lord. When he did, when he was there, when he was baptized. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He had to choose to put his mind where it needed to be. So when doubting, Christ gave an answer from the Bible that in truth was simplistic. That brings us to a statement the Apostle Paul made. Especially when you're doubting salvation, do not forget the simplicity that is in Christ. It's as if we expect it to be harder you know, that is how Naaman almost did not get his healing because he didn't expect it to be that simple. Don't forget the simplicity that is in Christ. Many will doubt their salvation because they miss the simplicity that is in Christ. How it is repentance and faith in Him. That's salvation. Remember, we talked about that with the thief on the cross. With that, that illustration that that one preacher gave, that I, I, for whatever reason, I love it. Where all of a sudden that thief on the cross who's dying, who's on his way to hell, and in seconds salvation takes place, moments later, he's in heaven. And just what had to be going through his mind. So, you know, in that conversation, that those angels talking to him, hey, so how, how did this work out for you? What, what just happened? How did you get here? Wait, wait, can you tell me about the doctrine of justification? No. You can't. No. Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand. You know, he goes through that whole conversation with them. They come up and they're saying, so how did you get here? He says, the man on the middle cross said I could come. It was that simple. It's faith in Christ. Don't forget the simplicity that is in it. 
of doubting salvation. Different than John, listen to me, it's, then it's not a matter of looking to Christ for his fruit. All right? It's a different type of doubt. But now it's looking to your life for your fruit. Because those who doubt salvation, usually it's not them doubting what God's doing. It's doubting what they did. You following the difference? Is that clear? So that's when you switch it around to, okay, what's my fruit? And for that answer, we still go right to the Scriptures. That's how you measure that. Do you have a desire for God? Do you have a desire to do right? Do you have a desire for His Word? Do you want to follow God? Do you you hate it when sin grabs you? Where it's difficult just to stay in it. These are the things the Bible talks about that when somebody's converted, this is the evidence they show. Is there a change? Now, if you're younger, you, you don't have the testimony of Pastor Roach, who was a drunkard, everything else. That's clear. For some who are younger, like where's Levi? I don't think you were a drunkard at six, seven years old, if I remember right. I don't remember that. I don't think so. That's pretty, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But there's still things you can look at to say, okay, do I desire God? When God's Spirit moves in, there's a change. I remember in my life, and I've used that many times. That's how I look at the evidence of salvation. Just like I said, the, that, that day that I put my faith in Christ, I remember going back, I'm out with my friends. That it, was a, it was a Wednesday. And I'm out with my friends, and we're, we're over by this uh, uh, willow tree. And I cussed like I always did. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, that doesn't seem right. I had no idea in the moment that that was tied into the fact that I just got saved that day. But looking back, it's like God's Spirit saying, no, 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 that's not happening. So you look to the evidence. Now, yes, I did. I, I knew Christ died for me. Did you put your faith in him? Well, I did. We're there. Again, the truth is doubt can affect all of us. I need, I need to go ahead and close this. It's a little bit later than I thought. Perhaps doubt has, perhaps, excuse me, doubt has haunted you. Come to Christ with it. Believe His Word. Listen, there have been times when those who have come to me with doubt, where as I listen to their testimony, where it was no testimony of salvation, where they never put their faith in Christ. Well, I went to church and I got baptized. You should be doubting me because you're not saved. All right? But the majority, no. They can go right to the time where they, in conviction, wanted to put their faith in Christ. But did I say the right thing? Know what the thief on the cross said? See, the key is your faith, not so much the words. The faith and repentance in Christ. 
Lord, when I come soon to thy kingdom, remember me. Done. It's faith and repentance in Christ. I can't tell you everything I said when I got married. I don't remember it. Doesn't mean I'm not married, does it? So you bring that doubt to Christ. You trust what his word says and you keep your eyes on God, not on the circumstances. Don't let those difficult circumstances dictate your life before God. Trust him with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask this question. Perhaps you're here right now. You're not certain if you have truly been converted. Say, Pastor, I hear this right now. And you know what? I think I'm not converted. I, I don't think heaven is my home. Please, I do need you to pray for me. Would you just raise your hand where I could see it? Do we have anybody in here like that tonight? Just let me see your hand, and then you can put it back down. I see just some small children is all I'm seeing. If you put your hand up, I did miss it. All right, Christian. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you need to come and pray. You come and pray this evening. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 245, and if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.